0: On this week's Devils in the Details, was United's performance against Luton as bad as it seemed? Looking at the finer details for the first time in a while, what's actually going wrong for this team in and out of possession? case united beat luton town and got their i think third win in a row in the premier league here or actually i think it's more than that now um
1: i believe it's four or five
0: (laughs) and we're about to talk about problems for the next half hour or so so what are your thoughts at this point is it just we're not really learning that much more and just taking stock of what we already know and gathering evidence or do you think that more is coming out of these matches and this winning run?
1: I don't think we're learning anything at this point. Um, which is which is why, to a certain extent, I was disinclined to even do this rewatch. Which, ultimately, I rewatched the first half of this match. Aaron, you rewatched the entire match, correct? No, I rewatched the first half as well. Okay, Aaron also rewatched the first half. Um, yeah, I I think my bottom line on this, before we do dig into the details, is... This is really I think the Luton Town match is more just a very extreme version of of what we've seen all season, as opposed to like new insights abound. Um Yeah. So then let's let's get into it from there. Yeah, I mean I'll add
0: one more thing because I think this will come up a lot in the next in the discussion that ensues, but I think there's two things here. One is the two goal lead. Um that changes the entire nature of how this match plays out. And then the second thing is the, um, the, I think the way the other team plays throughout this run can bring forth aspects of United's play that I don't think are inherently tactical, but I think they just show up depending on the opposition. So I think one thing that I will talk about at some point today is United's chance creation. And a lot of United's chance creation in this match comes from the fact that Luton were extremely open at the back, partially because they conceded partially because they're 17th in the Premier League and they are open at the back. Um And that doesn't necessarily mean that just because United created more in this game than they did, than they did against Villa, that they've solved issues that previously existed. It just means that the, Circumstances that occurred in the match allowed them to create more than they usually do. Doing essentially the same things.
1: Yeah, agree. With that
0: said, I think maybe we'll start with the out of possession approach because even though the in possession was bad, I think this is where the game broke down for United. I think this is where they conceded a lot of chances ultimately. Um, I, in my rewatch, had two types of breakdowns out of possession that have been happening all season and happened again in this match. I'll start with the ones that are more about Luton being able to consolidate possession in United's half, which is a ridiculous thing to say. Um, But essentially, tons of plays here where United were pressing with, for the most part, three of their front four, typically being the front three. Sometimes Rashford stepped back and Bruno joined the press. Um and Luton were building up with all of their back four, or their back three, sorry. L- Luton were building up with their goalkeeper, their entire back three, and then at times one or both of their central midfielders. So they just constantly had a one-man advantage against United's attack. Um They were able to draw United's front three out and then have a midfielder come deep, play into that midfielder, and then... That midfielder had time and space to turn, forcing either Bruno or Mainu, um, who were doing man-to-man marking assignments on Barkley and Lokonga, into difficult situations where they either had to follow that man and then risk getting turned uh, because of the amount of space that they were in, or um, leave them and let them turn and go, and then try to... uh dr- fall back into a defensive shape and in either case essentially your press is already broken because unless you can I think the objective here should be to either create situations where the ball comes into midfield from Luton at a time when the midfielders are um, able to step in and make interventions that's by forcing bad passes from their defense or by congesting the space with the press from the attackers in such a way that the midfielder then receives in less space. Um, So basically restricting the amount of space and time. And this press was not doing that. Bruno and Maynou were constantly in bad situations. Bruno in particular got bypassed a lot. Luton had a lot of possession.
1: Um, Is there
0: anything you want to talk about from this perspective?
1: No, not really. I think a big aspect of this is... The fact that we play so, we're so transition focused, even after we go up, that the result is you wind up with your, your 11 sort of stratified end to end of the pitch. Uh, and I think that's a big reason why you see sort of midfielders over committing um, and there being a resultant gap uh, where you're often seeing, uh, you know, yeah, sometimes 20, 30, 40 yards between your center backs and your two highest midfielders. Um, And that's where you see Casemiro in a lot of space, which obviously isn't his fault, but then he manages that space horribly, uh, makes really rash decisions, probably should have been sent off yesterday. Uh, Yeah, does does that elaborate on what you were saying?
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I basically, one thing you want to do is, yeah, you want to reduce the vertical space between your front line and your back line because that gives the opposition less to play into um, because the offside line starts at the half line. So there's i mean I'm not saying United's defenders should stand at the half line, but they can definitely be higher up than they are and then the second thing is if you're committing to a press to try and prevent them from playing out, then you have to commit to that press. you can't just this is something we've been talking about even when United were good last season. You can't just halfway into the press, give the opposition clear outs, and then you i and then hope that they either do not execute with enough precision to create space after the out is played into, or hope that you can deal with where they play into with intensity. By and large, if you are committing three players to defend four and five players, those three players are not going to be able to do that. And I mean, we can talk about how Rashford makes out of possession mistakes and a bunch of players have made out of possession mistakes, but you're putting them in situations where they're going to make more mistakes by just not committing enough players. Uh, So I really think that's what it comes down to. You need to reduce the vertical space and then commit more players to the first line if that's how you want to press. And then if not, you just pull back and let them let their back four of possession. Um, That's still better than just getting played through.
1: I think I would bring into this conversation though, the fact that our in possession approach feeds into the problematic nature of this out of possession approach. Because we have this, you know, frantic, overly vertical in-possession approach that I think results in, you know, you have bodies running, moving forward, in particular forwards, uh, frequently and early in possession, the ball being given up often to the opposition goalkeeper or center backs uh, with balls over the top, and then you, you're you naturally stretched in that way. And so because of the way we play, you the immediate following circumstances that the forwards press without... The players behind them having followed um and so you wind up with sort of this this negative feed feedback loop because you can to a certain extent play more vertically if you have a press that is going to contain the opposition in their own half because you you can exert control over the match in that way rather than doing it through composed possession uh but when you have a frantic imbalanced press and a frantic imbalanced in possession style again negative feedback loop um yeah, so I, I think that's a big part of it as well, though I obviously agree with your critiques of, of the out-of-position play on, in a vacuum.
0: Yeah, I mean, the other type of breakdown is the one that leads to these like these plays every game where the opposition is just running through United, and then you just see, like, picture an advanced midfielder from the opposition or a winger running straight at United's back line with no protection, and the defenders trying to figure out whether to commit into 1v1 situations or try to delay and lots of shots going off. This happens, I think, pretty much every game to United now. And I think what it results from, again, the verticality plays a part. But typically, when you're in an attacking phase and you try to either force a pass or you just make a mistake and lose the ball, United are committing a lot of players in central areas into basically being ahead of the ball. You can see this a lot with Maynou and Bruno in particular. They are much more advanced than where they might've been at this time last season. And then when you lose the ball, they're basically out of the play. And this is where you see those plays with, you know, Casemiro and then usually a fullback in large space with the opposition running straight at them. Um, And that's where Casemiro is getting dribbled and, you know, making all these bad decisions. And I think that's where you say, like, to some extent, you know, Casemiro is not really primarily at fault for this, but he's also dealing with these situations incredibly poorly.
1: Yeah. I mean, I will always be the first to say how a player deals with bad situations is not what you should be judging them based off of. Um, So, like, a player's ability to, you know, make a last-ditch tackle in a disadvantageous 1v1 is just not the key indicator of their quality. Uh, So in that way, I think judging Casemiro based off of these things isn't, like, the best way to get at whether he should or should not be in the side. That said, he does handle them exceptionally poorly uh, in massive volume. Uh, So there is that. Like, that is definitely not trivial. Um, Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, these situations are totally unacceptable. There, it's the reason United have the worst defense they've had uh, since probably, I'm going to guess, in the PL era. Like, I, I would be surprised if United have ever conceded more shot quality this deep into a season uh, since the advent of the Premier League. Um, yeah, it, like, it's just totally, it's totally unacceptable the frequency, the frequency with which the back four gets left uh, isolated in transition. That was true against Luton Town, though. <laughs> yeah, I, like, I'm like. i I'm so sick of I feel like we're just finding different ways. Even after a rewatch, we're just finding different ways to say the same things. It's, it is the same problems. They just manifest slightly differently depending on how the opposition approaches us. Um, yeah, I mean, I think
0: there are obviously a couple solutions here. Like I said last season, United were not committing both players other than Casemiro forward. This has been a clear problem all season. Um if Bruno goes forward, then you should probably keep Manu behind the ball. If Manu goes forward, then you should probably keep Bruno behind the ball. Manu, I'm um, sorry, Manu
1: just shouldn't go forward unless we're like chasing a game late. That too, no like I mean,
0: between those two, you're you're choosing. Like I think, I don't know what I think Manu's been great, but I do too. His he was, contribution I think he was hasn't been final third. Yeah, his contribution hasn't been final third. Impact, right? No. So this is just a futile exercise to try and flood more numbers when you play these speculative passes. And like, honestly, I think, again, we're, I'm going to go to in a second how United created a bunch of XG in these, in this match. I noted where each of these chances were coming from. And none of them were coming from these like Hollywood, like low risk, sorry, high risk, high reward, passes that are played so often that lead to these ball losses and then transitions um, where, you know, you get Casemiro or Bruno or Rashford will lump the ball at the opposition back line into an area where there's one or two players running into um, with like a low probability of getting to it. All of the chances were coming from United seeing an opening. One of the players having the technical, ability to play into that opening and then either being on the break or uh or shooting at goal and therefore I think it's easy to say is this vertical style getting the best out of the forwards when I don't think that the problem is inherently saying any vertical style but it's this idea of just giving the ball up in stupid scenarios um and committing lots of men forward that isn't adding anything
1: and is taking away from the team defensively in a huge way. So yeah, I think I think there's a difference between United are creating chances and United are getting the most out of their forwards. Um and I think this approach is creating chances. United United's attack has not been the problem this season ironically. Um but I don't think that but I don't think that validates the approach. All right.
0: As for in possession. Yeah. I mean, this is the one like positive I'll give. I don't even think it's a tactical positive. I think it's more like, I think again, a lot of players are playing well and it's resulting in a lot of chances. And then in this match, I think a lot of players actually played quite poorly, but they're just dangerous, high quality players and are able to create a lot of attacking chances. United had, 3.59 XG compared to Luton's 1.57 despite the same chances. A few notes here. One is, I think United actually had a lot of good attacking scenarios that did not result in shots, so I actually think this tally could have been even higher, even with the same attacking output. The second is that 1.5 conceded against Luton is obviously just a terrible number. If you're conceding 1.5 against some of the worst attacking sides in the league, imagine what you're conceding against the best attacking sides in the league. So... It is yeah. much better, obviously, to concede perform, like two
1: xg. Stats oh, perform as a as an even smaller margin. It has United two point nine xg, Luton Town one point eight. Um, so yeah, yeah. These, these are just like once you know you could look at that and say oh plus one point one, which is a fantastic margin. If you did that every game, that would be good. But you have to realize that there's a huge difference between like being you know a goal and a one point one expected goals better than your opposition but conceding 1.8 versus being a goal in a, a 1.1 goals is better, expected goals better than your opposition and conceding 0. 0.8. Uh, just the variance of outcomes is far larger. And because United started the game up 2-0 functionally, it just tells a completely different story. Yeah. Well, if United put up 2xG
0: in this match or 1.1xG in this match and conceded 0, that would be excellent. I'd be thrilled with that. Yeah. I would take that every single game because you'd never lose a game. But... That's not the same case as putting up 3.5 and conceding 1.5 or putting up, you know, 2.9 and conceding 1.8, because in many scenarios, 1.8 XG and 20 shots to the opposition is enough for them to score five and enough, but also enough for them to score zero, which means your 2.9 could be zero. You're creating more variability in outcomes in a match where you should basically be winning this 80, 90% of the time without question if you want to be competing for top four and competing for titles. And so even in matches like this, where I think attacking wise, it materializes really well. I think it's really difficult to look at this and say, United are setting themselves up long-term to consistently win games against the bottom half playing the way they are. Um So as much as I, I will say that I think, this goes to show that United have a lot of players who can generate incredible threat. Luton were really porous. I think Luton ultimately deserved to lose the game. I don't think that any of those things are as important as, you know, once again, United are looking to build a side of a certain quality. They're not setting up the side to play at that quality.
1: Yeah, and I would go a step further. We saw I saw a lot of people yesterday who were talking about Basically the following, which is you and I, Aaron, were complaining about the fact that United weren't exerting possession after they went up 2-0. There was really very little game management. Still trying to, you know, play long balls in transition. Uh, And we had a few people who said, oh, well, there's no right way to play against bottom half sides. Like, they're all different, which is factually true. Um, However, United had like 38% possession in the first half. There is never ever a reason to have thirty-eight percent possession against the bottom half side. There's would there's, there's never a reason almost never
0: it. against a side. Yeah. Like thirty-eight yeah. is low.
1: Thirty-eight is really low. But I, I like I, I don't really care if you have thirty-eight. You don't have possession. to dominate possession yeah.
0: against everybody, but yeah
1: Yeah, that's not my point. Point being, especially when you go up, there is no reason against a side that you have far greater technical proficiency than to be conceding that much possession after going up 2-0. You could, and and then especially the reason for you to be conceding possession, to be trying to hit them on the break to score your third, it's brain dead. No, like you can, you can say, oh, like the best way to kill a team is to score your third. Sure, like conceptually sure, but I'll tell you this, no effective side plays the way United played after going 2-up yesterday. Um Arsenal don't do that, Liverpool don't do that. City don't do that. None of the teams that you'll see competing in the Champions League this season do that. You just don't do that. Um But no also not I think that game. even if
0: you're inviting pressure at times in the game and then looking to counter into the vacant space in a leading game state, I think the possession being that low is an indicator that United didn't actually have a systemic way of forcing those scenarios they were just waiting for them um which is two different things drawing the opposition out and waiting for them to lose the ball is not an effective strategy is not a more effective strategy to create a third goal than you know settle possession in their half you can argue this team is really bad at settle possession and really good at the attacking transitions and i can agree but then i would say find a way to force those situations as opposed to waiting for those situations and then trying to take advantage of
1: that, Which I think, again, goes back to the pressing approach and your ability to p- like control a match through your out-of-possession um, play. And United can't do that either. So conceding possession is, in fact, an even greater net negative in that way. Um, which I think kind of then brings us to, is this systemic or is this players? Because I think a lot of people yesterday were in particular upset with Bruno and Casemiro. I can't refute that. The two of them were horrid. <laughs> like it was a really bad day for the two of them, and it's I th- they're always wasteful. So like, you, it's really difficult to. I I won't defend their their decisions in possession. Um. I, look, yeah. Go ahead. Sure. Yeah. As the first half goes, yesterday, I think
0: a lot of the in possession stuff was at the fault of the players. I say that with two caveats. Number one, the out of possession stuff is clearly systemically flawed, as we just talked about. And number two, just because the players made mistakes, it doesn't mean that the approach was otherwise flawless. So I think there were a lot of unforced mistakes from United's players. I think there were a lot of plays from Casemiro in particular that were just losing the ball, poor control, kicking it out of play because he was under pressure, um, you know, passing it into bad areas, and then sending the opposition against United in the other direction. Um, Bruno, I think, was wasteful in a more attacking sense. He was giving the ball away poorly or misplacing passes in scenarios where United could have otherwise scored. Um, maybe there were one or two, I think, in the first half where he actually gave it away from a deeper area when United could have consolidated possession. Um, and so do I think that this is a problem on a personnel level Yes, very possibly. I think United have players who give a ball, give away the ball in ridiculous scenarios. Rashford was another one yesterday. However, that doesn't mean that if these players were not giving the ball away from mistakes, that the in possession approach would be perfect. I think we still have a lot of evidence that there are systemic issues in how the team is being, um, instructed to play with the ball, um, that, For most of this season, if not yesterday, have superseded the issues that this group of players has with the ball at their feet. Like, I mean, you look at the side yesterday and it's like Shaw, Maguire, to some extent, Dalo, Onano was excellent in possession. Mainu was excellent in possession. Um, You have Hoyland was he made he made mistakes, but he was resourceful. Garnacho made mistakes but he was resourceful. These aren't th- this isn't a group of players that was bad in possession. I mean, you can look at a point in the season where United were playing Veron, Evans, Wan-Bissaka, McTominay and, you know, and Bruno in build-up and Shaw was out and then you can say of that group maybe they don't have the ability to play. But now United have all these players back, which was an excuse for much of the season, and they're still
1: not improving their approach. So yeah, so I have a few thoughts on that. First off, as for Mainu, um or no, sorry, first off, as for Onana, I agree Onana was good on the ball yesterday. However, I think really what this illustrates more than anything, as opposed to like Onana being better on the ball or worse, is something that we talk about all the time, which is the conditions that the opposition presents you with and that you force the opposition to present you with have a lot more to do with how your players look than the player, than player quality week to week. Um, and specifically... Luton Town separated their midfield from their defense in a way that made Hoyland accessible in midfield, which allowed Onana to play directly to him, to his feet, um, and that just made playing long to Hoyland a completely different thing. Um, allowed him to isolate center backs, and it made them suddenly look like completely different players. When the reality was, tactical conditions changed, and you know what? United I, I, can force those tactical conditions. So this is not me just saying, "Oh, it's Luton Town. Forget about." those player qualities you saw on display. It's actually quite the opposite. It's making the point that the reason that you see, you know, maybe Onana's long passing looks speculative or Hoyland's hold-up play looks poor in other matches has more to do with the tactical conditions that we allow the opposition to impose on us and the tactical conditions that we fail to impose on our opposition than it does with the ability of those two players to execute on the pitch, Um, and you can use, there's so many examples of how this plays out on a football pitch, but that really stood out to me, Um, the second thing that I wanted to talk about was, yeah, uh, Bruno, Casemiro, very bad matches, Bruno consistently gives the ball away like that, Casemiro just cannot, is not a midfielder, Um, my thoughts on that are are the following, Uh, I agree, individually, they were particularly poor and that that is not the plan, right? However, to your point, they wouldn't be playing balls over the top in that volume. The forwards would not be making runs over the top in that volume. Uh, They would not be taking so much risk immediately after winning the ball if that was not part of the plan from the manager. And You know what? He makes a lot of comments after the match about how he would have liked to have pushed up more or how, you know, you see him yelling on the sidelines about keeping the ball more. But ultimately, the broad strokes of the match plan every week involve them playing over the top like this. And you could say, oh, well, that's him trying to play to the strengths of these players. But if that's the case, then that's the the first issue that you have to address is the fact that that is a bad plan. And then if you change that plan and you say we're going to go with this other plan that maybe on its surface doesn't suit these players as well and then that doesn't work then you can start assessing whether the players are the failure point but right now they are not the primary failure point which is why I avoid the is Bruno the problem for the team question because the team like the 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 ideas that that this team's playstyle is founded upon, are fundamentally flawed. So as long as Bruno is playing into those ideas, regardless of whether it suits his playstyle or not, he's going to look like he's contributing to the team losing, which he is. But we've seen him be effective when the team is effective. Like, and very obviously contribute to the team winning. So I don't get why this is something that we have to waver on. Where it's the team is playing poorly and it's Bruno is the problem and the team is playing well and Bruno is the reason the team is playing well. Maybe, just maybe, the tactical conditions are affecting how positive his impact on the team is. And so to take that a step further, is Bruno, you know, like, do we need to get rid of him? I don't think that's a question I want to answer until he is the primary player giving the ball away, as opposed to one of many culprits and perhaps the worst. That's my rant for today.
0: (laughs) I mean, I basically think it's born of a reductionist school of thought, where, especially on apps like Twitter, where you have a character limit, you're kind of resigned to saying something is good or bad or perfect or awful. Essentially describing it in one word, Where, you know, if you want to play this approach, but you have Bruno, and Bruno does not align entirely with that approach, so therefore you cannot play that approach. And I think the reality is something more like, will Bruno... does Bruno inhibit the team's ability to control possession, escape their third consistently? Maybe. Does that mean the team cannot do those things with Bruno in it? I don't think so. Not at least to the point where they're this bad. I don't think it's like you can be a perfect possession team and then you introduce one player who cannot play possession football at all or cannot play possession football a little bit in the case of Bruno and suddenly you're an awful team, right? That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Um I think the idea we're getting at is We're at a stage where it is impossible that the issues and the scale of issues are caused by one or two of the 11 players on the pitch, regardless of the flaws that they might have and how they limit their ability to contribute to the system. And we know for a fact that Bruno is a very good player at areas of the game that lead to United winning matches. So... At this point it's just not a particularly relevant discussion, I don't think in the context of how United get better.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I this is basically my bottom line. Are is Bruno Fernandes a wasteful player? Yes. Is that potentially going to limit the ceiling of this team with him in the side? Yeah, possibly. Is he the reason even like one of the main reasons that this team is as bad as it is, no, no. Um, and that's not to say that some of his player qualities don't play into the problems that we talk about, but I-, I just think that's that conclusion works backwards from it's the conclusion to the logic as opposed to looking systemically at what the problems are and then identifying, uh, the roots, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, yeah, um.
1: Anything else on this game? We can talk about Dallo for a second. Diogo Dallo, so good. Probably the second best player on this team in that match. Probably been our best player all season.
0: Yeah, Dallo. I mean, it's kind of funny in a game where he fluffed two incredible scoring chances. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I've been saying this all season and for many seasons before that. He's very good. I don't think you're going to be able to replace him as a starter this summer. Um relatedly, we had a lot of questions about Shaw. Uh Jack asks, with Shaw being so inconsistently available, is there a profiler specific player we should be looking at for left back? And KC asks, with the club being linked to Branthwaite and Shaw being injury prone, is Lissandro capable of playing as a left back in the Premier League? Uh Arteta wanted Lissandro before they signed Zinchenko. Capable, maybe. Should United do that? No, I don't think so. I I I think where I'm going with this is, are United looking at buying one or two fullbacks? And what does that look like this summer when Dalo is pretty much the only one who's reliably and consistently playing minutes at a high level?
1: Basically, this is my bottom line. Yes, they definitely need to get a left back. No, I, I don't even think Lissandro Martinez can play left back in the Premier League, I'll be honest with you. I don't think he offers in the final third what you want. Uh, I don't think you want him running up and down the flank. I don't think he has like the, I don't think he's built like that. I don't think he has the engine for that. Um, Yeah, I think he's highest impact at left center back and it's not close at all. Uh, I don't have a a short list right now of players, so I would have to think about it. Um, And I don't want to give, I think as I've said on the last few episodes of this podcast, I am desperate to avoid false positives when it comes to player ident- uh, identification going forward, and I don't want to give uh, a name that I renege on later.
0: Yeah, that's pretty much fair. I guess what I was going for was more, do you think United are going to look at a, a fullback for both flanks or just a right back and then maybe Dalo plays more minutes on the left or... I think you definitely need
1: a left back. Um, so yeah, I think you probably need a right back and a left back at this point.
0: <laughs> Alright. Uh I'm not trying to be one more. like Kurt. Like I'm just I like Yeah, I know. Like I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I know. I'm I mean not, I would have said the same. I, I'm I'm like I think you can depending on what happens with Malasia there's a chance you could get away with not signing a left back, but I think it's at this point it's also just really frustrating seeing Shaw rush back every week and then get injured yeah. every week like yeah. i I don't know how that how that keeps being allowed to happen, like just don't play him, just play him for twenty minutes at the end of the match if he's coming back to fitness,
1: yeah, yeah, I don't i my personal angle on it is no more half measures that's like my slogan for this coming summer and and the future of Manchester United no more half measures
0: um all right, we'll do one more question. Uh, Patson Ziambo asks, why is Hoyland still significantly having the least amount of shots amongst the United attackers? I actually looked at this and Hoyland is United's season leader in the Premier League for XG, but he is way, way, way down on the list for actual number of shots behind the likes of, in particular, Bruno, Rashford, Garnacho, and even a couple others.
1: Yeah, I think this the answer to this one is pretty simple. Shot quantity is not the be all end all. Uh shot shot quality matters as much. Um and yeah, his 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 shot uh quantity is not high. I think he's taking like less than two shots per 90, which is you want to get that number up for sure in the long term. But as long as the shots are of as high a quality as the ones he's taking, it doesn't really matter. Um and I think the reason that he's taking so few shots is because. He's seeking higher quality shots. So he's, you know, picking up the ball in high, like low density areas at a lower frequency, which means he's, you know, taking fewer shots from tight angles, fewer shots from outside the box and really hunting those high quality uh, shots between the posts. And I think that's what he should be doing. I think I have no problem with that at all. In fact, I think it's a positive. Um...
0: Yeah, one sec on this just
1: curiously checking something his shot quality is is, is 0.23 by the way which is fantastic
0: yeah. i'm i'm checking how that compares across
1: i mean that's going to be one of the best in, in the premier league i'm certain of it yeah
0: so a shot quality of 0. 0.23 non penalty expected goals per shot is third in the premier league joint with uh nicholas jackson of chelsea the two players who are higher are Alexander Isak and Chris Wood, with 0.24, and Chris Wood has played nine point seven nineties, which is roughly like just above half what Hoyland has played on a career sample. He has not averaged anywhere near that. I'm pretty sure. So essentially, Hoyland is getting off on average just about the best shots in the Premier League. Not that not saying he's a better shot creator than Holland because obviously volume matters, but he is getting off higher quality shots by .02 than Erling Holland. .02 is virtually nothing in this sample, so he's getting off comparable quality of shots to Erling Holland. Um, the volume of shots will rise based on United being a better team, and therefore you can expect his expected goals to rise. I think you might even see his shot quality go down a little bit. If United consolidate more possession in the final third and are struggling to break down blocks, you might see him take more speculative shots. But ultimately, I think if and when United get, get good, like even reasonably good, I think you will get a much better idea of what a player like Hoyland's ceiling looks like because right now we have a very good idea that he can score goals at a high level. I think what he's able to do when United are facing different, different situations in matches and higher volumes of situations in the, in the final third in matches is when you'll get an idea of how frequently he can actually pull off those high quality shots um, against top defenses in the premier league. So yeah, all of that is to say I'd
1: I'd add one thing, which is he's shooting more than twice a game since the beginning of January, which is when this, this goal scoring run is, has, has happened um and more than twice a game with qual shot yeah with that quality of shot that's very 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 good for his age
0: it's very very good period like it puts him in the top 3 or 4 strikers in the premier league i
1: i I'd, I'd, I'd think um something like that yeah
0: i'm trying to see if i can get a breakdown for this year whether the shots are of the same quality i'd imagine they are like considering some of the goals he scored i think the one yesterday um the chested one was relatively high. The one-on-one was extremely high because he rounds the goalkeeper and then shoots into an open net. Um, yeah, like, honestly, I don't think I envisioned Hoyland being this good this season when he joined. I'm... I think I envisioned it being possible, but I think if I were to guess what the median outcome would have been based on what I saw at Atlanta, I would have guessed something not as good as this. So I'm very happy with what we're getting. And I'm not too worried about volume in a team that doesn't do anything good in volume.
1: I mean, I was, I did think where I landed on it, like his expected production was pretty close to what where he's at right now. But the form he's been in, I did not expect to see, um, if that makes sense. Like on balance, the full season is about what I expected in terms of like rate, statistic, production. But the last month and a half, he's obviously been outstanding um, and and really high impact. And
0: he has close to doubled his non penalty expected goals per ninety of the season um, in the last couple of matches and months, which a shows you how volatile these stats are and or in small samples and. B shows you how United, I wouldn't say being a better attacking team, but playing in scenarios that have given them more opportunities to to attack in ways that lead to shots for him is something that he can definitely capitalize upon. Um So, yeah. And then for further note, he was averaging more shots per 90 than he is now at, at Atlanta and still maintaining relatively high um expected goal numbers and incredibly high numbers for a 19 20 21 year old
1: yeah and i'll, I'll even say if you take his champions league numbers into account which you know argument to made that you shouldn't because the quality of opposition was not particularly high but when you do he's averaging 0.46 non-penalty expected goals per 90 and 0.54 non-penalty goals per 90 which is just sterling uh production for a, a striker his age um it's, it's honestly, that's just a good striker. It's standalone. <laughs> yeah. Like it's you like, yeah. Um,
0: no, his, his output this season for strikers, his age is standalone. There's nobody, the only player born. So the only player born his age or after 2003 or later in Europe's top five leagues, who has more than, who, who has more goals than Hoyland in all
1: competitions is Jude Bellingham. That's it. Yeah. Who you can make is, he's probably top three player in Europe this season. Um Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. No details. This is the segment where we allow you to ask anything but with one caveat. The questions cannot be about football. I'm going to do two different ones for each of us because we have Andrew who asks, Talk least shot at winning the Stanley Cup. And we have Nathan who asks, what is a movie you wish you liked more than you do? So, Case, I'm going to get you to give me a movie that you wish you liked more than you do. And then I'm going to talk about the least chances of winning the Stanley Cup from my casual hockey knowledge.
1: Okay. Uh, this is a good question. I There are definitely a lot of movies that I wish I liked more than I do. Um, oh, but what's the first one that comes to mind? It's a movie with Marion Cotillard. I just completely butcher that name. I do not speak French. Um, but you'll recognize her from movies such as Inception, Midnight in Paris. Um, but she has a movie that she is fantastic in, but I do not enjoy, uh, which is called Two Days, One Night. It's a good movie. It's a really good movie. A lot of people think it is like one of the great movies of the 21st century. Um, and it's about a woman who essentially she loses her job just before Christmas Um, and she has a child and she needs to support a child and management basically says to her, look, uh, we're not going to technically fire you. What we're going to do is we're going to put it to the rest of your coworkers. They can either have their Christmas bonus or we can keep you on staff and they're going to vote. And so she basically has two days and one night to go around and convince enough of her coworkers to sacrifice their own, you know, year end bonuses for her to keep her job. Um, and it's kind of just so gut-wrenching that I can't say I enjoy it, um, even though it is a good movie. So that's my answer. Wow. Okay. That's an
0: interesting concept, actually. I kind of want to watch that now. Yeah, it's pretty upsetting. Uh, <laughs> maybe I don't want to watch it. I don't know. But I, I feel like I feel like it would be pretty good. So I'm, I'm curious to hear that that's your answer. Yeah. Um, Okay, yeah, so I've been watching the Leafs this season, and I was actually at the Leafs game on Saturday night when they won 9-2 against the Anaheim Ducks. It was a pretty crazy game to see in person. I don't know that much about hockey, so this is my, like, introductory take on the Leafs. Um, For a little bit of background, they have, I would say, one of the, like, three or four best players in hockey, Austin Matthews, who is currently scoring at a higher rate than anybody else in the NHL by like a double-digit amount of goals. Um, They have two or three of the other best players in the NHL. Um, William Nylander is top 10 in the NHL in points. Uh, Mitch Marner also just consistently a year-on-year highly productive NHL forward. Um, Their captain, John Tavares, has been a consistently high... Highly productive NHL forward. I don't think he's producing at his like peak level anymore, but also highly productive player. And then Morgan Riley, who is currently suspended, is also in, was also in the All-Star team this year. Um, so on the surface of things, or yeah, the Leafs should be considered a contender to win the Stanley Cup. Um, however, over the last few years, they have never come particularly close. Um, They surpassed the first round of the playoffs once um, last season, and they lost the second round in five. So they have not come close to even reaching the Stanley Cup, let alone actually winning it. Um, I think what this mainly boils down to, at least this season, is that the defense is not at the same level as the forwards, who can score against pretty much anybody. And then there have also been goaltending issues throughout the season that have left the Leafs on season performance roughly around the 10th placed mark out of the 30 teams in the NHL, which puts them firmly outside what I would consider like lead contenders to win. Uh, But that being said, I think they do have a ceiling at higher than 10th because of the ceiling quality of player and also the fact that recently the goaltending issues haven't been as bad and they've also had a lot of defenders coming back over the last few months. So I'm not completely without hope and honestly hockey is giving me a lot more joy than Manchester United this season but I wouldn't say that I would if if I was a non-Leafs fan be betting on the Leafs
1: to win the Stanley Cup at this stage. Riveting analysis Aaron that was a much more comprehensive answer than I was looking for I was expecting.
0: I mean I I feel like I feel like I'm um I don't know, I'm don't. i the type of person who can't give an answer that's, like, bereft of logic, but I also don't understand hockey well enough to tell you, like, oh, like, you know, we sit here and talk about out-of-possession and in-possession <laughs> approach for an hour every week, and I couldn't tell you what the Leafs, like, detailed in-possession and out-of-possession approach is just yet, but, I mean, they have great players, particularly attacking ones, I think it makes them one of the most fun teams in hockey to watch. Um, they have the biggest probably or one of the biggest fan bases in hockey, one of the loudest fan bases in hockey and haven't won an NHL in like 57 years. So it makes for a fun culture and uh, add ultimately will add to my misery in sport this season. But right now makes it more fun than Manchester United. And they just won today again to extend their winning streak to like four, I think. So, yeah, good times.
1: I saw the the Maple Leafs play the Canadiens in Toronto probably six or seven years ago. Uh, wow! Yeah, pretty cool. It's it's that is pretty cool. It was, it's, it's, it was pretty cool. Yeah, it's an it's an incredible
0: trip. sport to watch. Like, as someone who I'm going to sound very un-Canadian for a minute here, but as someone who can't skate, let alone you play hockey, skate? I I like I can not fall, but I wouldn't say I can skate. Wow. Does that make sense?
1: That's, yeah, that's, uh.
0: Yeah. I mean, I played my winter sport in Canada was curling. Um, right. So, in curling, you walk on the ice, you don't skate. Um, so I can, I can not fall with skates on ice, but I wouldn't say I can skate. Um, so as someone who can't particularly skate, let alone play hockey, I think I have like a good appreciation for just how difficult what they do is. Not only can they skate and also control like, A puck while skating but also the way the game is coordinated the offside trapping and like the way team movement occurs um, and is coached the way line changes are coached is like absolutely incredible to watch up close um, especially for teams that are really good because they will make movements and move the puck faster than you can even think about what they're going to do in most cases Um, whereas I don't feel that way about football even though what footballers do is absolutely unbelievable. I think the pace is just a little bit slower such that you can kind of see what's going on. And like, even when you're first watching the sport foresee what is going to happen, um, in certain situations, even if you don't understand why, but in this sport, it feels like I've been watching it for six or seven months consistently now. And I still am like in awe of how fast they move and how well they're coordinated. So
1: yeah. Fascinating. All right, Aaron, I think that concludes another episode of uh, Devils in the Details.
0: All right, everybody. Uh, United continue their top five hunt in what is definitely not going to end in heartbreak for all of us, either which way. Um, Lots of stuff going on behind the scenes, which I think is making the tone of this a little bit more optimistic. Like, it obviously sucks to watch this team play poorly every week, but you're hearing news of top directors and and executives from the sport being hired, which, I mean, like, I don't think... We have definitive answers that this is going to fix it because I don't necessarily believe that individual figures um, in isolation can fix a broken structure um, or that they will be implemented in a way that they can do it even if they can. Um, However, it is definitely a good sign that this is what the club is looking to do. And these are the types of figures they're looking to get input from in yeah. the next chapter of this approach.
1: Lots of people who I genuinely think are competent are better than uh, lots of people who I don't know if they're competent. That's my take on that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so I mean, I don't think this is without promise. I think we keep seeing every week that there are a lot of great players in this United team that are really fun to watch. And so I guess we just continue our hope that they will give us things that are tactically as fun to watch as the players in the team. With that, we'll see you guys next week. Hope you enjoyed this week's Devils in the Details. You can follow us at Pod on Twitter or on a variety of streaming platforms. Our awesome theme music was made by Jacob Connor. You can find at Jacob J. Connor on Twitter. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.